So glad to see all of you here this morning. This is my third time up here. I'm not nervous at all. I got to tell you, so the first time I came up here, uh, Jared told me I was doing Mark chapter 8. And before I got ready to come up here, he goes, this is the pinnacle of Mark. This is it. This is where it all flips. It's like I'm not nervous or afraid at all. And then for this one, he told me, okay, you're going to do Mark chapter 16. You're going to close it out. You're going to land the plane. (laughs) And then I looked at the scripture, and I go, this is the cornerstone of Christianity. This is the resurrection of Jesus. And he looked at me with that smile, and he goes, yep, that's what you got. (laughs) And I am still not nervous or anxious or anything at all. Let's start in a word of prayer first. Lord, we... We thank you for this day. We thank you that we get to open up this gospel of Mark, and it's been such a great series. It's been so amazing to have the pastors and people come and speak on this series. Pray you do, that you ready our hearts as we get into this series. We thank you for our worship band that came up here. We thank you for Alexa doing our announcements. We thank you, and we're so excited to do some baptisms a little bit later. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I was on this trip. I was going with Mr. G. Mr. G is his name as a teacher. It's Ron Galvin. He's teaching over in our children's ministry right now. And we went on this trip to San Diego. It was called pre-camp. And what pre-camp is, is it's a training for camp counselors. Kind of get the wheels turning again before summer and get it all going. So we drove down to San Diego, and we drove to this mansion. And not only was there a mansion there was a guest house where the guys stayed. And this guest house was bigger than the house I'm living at now. This thing was huge. And I was so excited. There was only one issue. I would miss my hockey game. I loved to watch hockey. Not only hockey, but I loved to watch the Ducks play. And they were in the playoffs, and it was game five of a best-of-seven series. And I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to watch the game. Well, Mr. G had a small solution. He had an iPhone 4 at that point, about this big, and we were going to try to somehow watch it. But then we got into the guest bedroom, and we noticed they had a TV. Not only did they have a TV, but they had cable. Not only cable, they had the sports package. So we got to watch our game. And we started to watch the game, and it was almost at the end. There was four minutes left. The Ducks were down 3-0 to the Edmonton Oilers, and I was distraught told Mr. G, just turn the game off. I'm done with this. I'm going to cry in the corner. My life is over. (laughs) And he told me, just wait. It's not over. So we stayed watching the game, and they scored a goal with about like 3.15 left. And so it's 3-1. to You're like, not getting your hopes up. It's okay. It's not too bad. And then next thing you know, they scored again. It's 3-2. to It's like, okay, it's getting a little interesting. And it's almost, and then they score again with about a minute left, and it's 3-3, three to three and we're excited. Mind you, we're high-fiving, but we have to be quiet because it's like 11 o'clock at night, and we're supposed to be up at like 5 a.m. And so the game goes to overtime. When a hockey game goes to overtime, the first team to score wins. So we're sitting at the end of our, end of our seats on this couch, and the Ducks scored, and we got so excited. I, like, jumped up in the air, like, flew around the room like a plane and, like, hugged Mr. G. It was so exciting. At that moment, I'd been taken from this place of desolation to a hope. And today, we're going to talk about what true hope in your life 
does for you. We're going to be going through Mark 16, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to start at verses 1 through 2. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Mandolin, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. What we see is right after Sabbath, these ladies, a group of ladies loved Jesus so much that they gave of their time and they gave of their money to be able to anoint Jesus with these perfumes and with these oils. The fact that these ladies were able to do this just shows us one thing, that Jesus truly was dead. Now, I'm just going to go real quickly. There are a few myths that people bring up about Jesus either not being alive or something else. So the first one being, uh, people will say that Jesus didn't actually die, which I think is an issue. And we see with these ladies, their willingness to spend so much money and leave right after the Sabbath shows that he truly did die. We also see the disciples are hiding in terror because something drastic occurred. They're upstairs, right? They're hiding, and that's because Jesus passed away. The other thing we see is the Roman soldier told him that Jesus is dead, and for a Roman soldier to not know what death is just doesn't make sense. Another myth we see sometimes is the disciples stole his body. I think it's quite hilarious to think some 11 everyday fishermen, tax collectors, everyday people could defeat a group of Roman soldiers. Not only could they defeat a group of Roman soldiers, but to think that Rome wouldn't send another group of soldiers to take them out just doesn't make sense. We know the disciples were hiding in fear because of what just happened. The third myth is they were hallucinating. It was a mass hallucination. I think this one is truly creative because it's the storyline to one of the Batman movies. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous of a statement, uh, and it's proof they're really grasping at straws. But what people, they're not asking if the resurrection is real, but they're asking how is it relevant to them. Jesus is dead, it's quite clear. There's a great deal of love from these women towards Jesus. And the fact that they're the ones who give the account makes it even more factual. See, women in that day of age, their voice wasn't as respected back then. And for their account to be in all four Gospels and not be taken out or disputed just shows how true the resurrection and all of this is. Let's keep moving on along in Mark 16. Verses 3 and 4. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. The first thing we see now is they're walking up, and they're worried about this stone. Who's going to roll it away from us? This huge stone that's blocking the tomb so they can't get in. And how unlikely it is that they were going to be able to move it away. Now, we know from one of the other gospel accounts that it's thrown away essentially by the angel, but what we see from this is it parallels with our life, how we have big boulders in our life and things blocking our road. See, God will handle and help us through all situations. When he moves that stone out of the way, sometimes we're stressing out about what's going on, what's going to happen, and we don't realize that God's already there. He's maybe even already moved that stone away. 
Have you ever had a stone blocking your path before? Some examples, maybe you're freaking out about a project at work, or there's an issue at school. Have you ever had car problems before? Health troubles? Broken relationships with friends or family members? Or people in church? I mean, they're everywhere. One of the problems I was facing just a few months ago was my parents were getting ready to move, and I had to decide whether I was going to stay in California or not. And uh, I started to pray to God. And let me show you how my prayers go. God, I know absolutely nothing. You need to make it completely clear because I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> and so um, as I was praying, some things started to unfold. I had some students come up to me and share some stuff with me, and they're like, we didn't know who else to go to. I was like, okay. And then um, uh, one day I was driving home and like one of those weird electronic billboard signs that always say like how long to the next freeway, it said, please stay here. <laughs> so just to make the story a little more creepy, I was right behind Jared in traffic. Uh, as I was, we used to live the same way. So after that, I go, okay, I got it, I got it. Smacked me fear in the, clear in the face. And so I reached out to my church community, and thankfully, Doug and Cindy welcomed me to live with them. And one of our first conversations we had is they go, well, we want to host youth events. See, as the youth guy, that just makes sense. I need a place where I can host youth events. And I told them, yeah, we can host some youth events. And we've done three or four. It's only been a few months. I'm so thankful that God put them in my life to be able to help me because he moved that stone and I didn't even really have to do any of the lifting. See, if we understand that through the true hope found in Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, we're doing the will of God, he's going to be with us through those rocks. He's going to help us move them. Now, don't confuse my words. Not every rock will be moved. Problems will still occur in your life. But God will be there. He'll either help you move that rock, go over that rock, through the rock, around the rock. Or if you're like me, you go head first into it about six times until you realize you truly need to pray. As this rock was cleared from the tomb, we see the ladies enter the tomb. Mark 16, 5 through 6. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. These women just walked into the biggest moment of human history. They're full of so many emotions. Where's Jesus at? How is the rock not here? What's going on? And then they see an angel. This is Mark's way of telling us there's an angel, a young man in a white robe. They see this angel, and we see in all Bible counts, normally when people see angels, they become frightened, scared, and everything in between. And so they're, they're, so many emotions are going through, and they probably don't know what to deal with it. And the first thing God has this angel do is comfort them. He says, don't be alarmed. He does that with us, too. See, this angel then goes on to say that you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He is not here. Check it out. Look. He's not buried anymore. He's risen. He's conquered death. In this moment, all of humans are taken from this point of desperation to hope. See, death has been conquered. 
We as humans, we mess stuff up. We're going to continue to mess stuff up because of our pride, because of our flesh, flesh being that sinful thing we have. But God understands that, and he stepped into the picture, sending his son to come down, both 100% man, 100% God, to save us, to take that burden away from us so we don't have to carry it. See, God could have said, it's their mess, they made it, they can lie in it, they can figure it out. But he knows we can't. And that's not God's character. God's character is one of love and grace and joy and freedom. And that's what he did for us. He took that burden on himself for each of you. See, the son was given for our sake, that we may be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Through Jesus, we're brought into perfection through his eyes. And this thing called the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now that we're brought into this Trinity, doing the will of the Father, we're also given this thing called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a helper. It's there to help us to bring more people into God's family. It's one thing we're told to do. Now that we're given the true hope, we're supposed to help other people learn what this true hope is. How many of you share the true hope a lot? Let me rephrase that question. When was the last time you shared about the good news that Jesus rose from the grave with someone? See, as, as Christians, we talk about the death of Jesus a lot. I mean, a cross is our symbol. And it's great because it's telling that he died for our sins. It's an um, outstanding truth. But it's incomplete. If he just died for our sins, we have an issue there. What we see is he didn't just die for our sins, though. He rose again. He conquered death. It's no longer there. He's not in the grave. And that's what the angel says. Check it out. He's not there. And this gives us this hope because we're free from sin, from that burden, because he rose again. It's so amazing. A few years ago, I was up at camp, and we had a few kids come to us from China. And they spent two weeks with us, and then they were going to go right back to China. Now, everybody, all the counselors spent a lot of time talking about Jesus to them because we knew that it wouldn't come back. They probably weren't getting it in China. And one of the kids, he had this issue. See, he couldn't get over this mountain called evolution. See, if creation is real and evolution is real, you're going to have two different views. If creation is real, everything is designed with a purpose. If evolution is real, everything is by chance, and everything is slightly random. Or it's random, not slightly. So this young man, he would come up and ask me random questions as a science major. He would ask me the purpose of just random things. One time I remember waking up from camp, and, or from a nap, sorry. I, you'd fall asleep at camp and you wake up. And <laughs> <laughs> but I took a nap. I have to do that at camp, otherwise I don't make it. And I was in the lunch line. He came up to me, and he asked me something. You're all probably wondering, what is the purpose of a cockroach? Uh, let me answer that for you. There is a purpose to a cockroach. A cockroach is part of the food web, which means it is eaten, and it eats other things, so it helps sustain other things, but also decomposes dead stuff. So there is a purpose. And through him asking me all these questions, 
a few days left in the week, he told me he wanted to bring Jesus into his life. Him and I got a chance to pray, and I saw the anger in his face that he had, the frown he always had go away, and the smile come up, and how happy he was, and he was just grinning the whole rest of the week. And then I got to give him this Bible, and we got to highlight some verses in it, and he was so happy, and it was amazing. I get to share it with the other counselors. We're all hugging and crying. I even got to call Mr. G and tell him about the news down the mountain. See, it was so amazing seeing this young man take his hope from the world and put into the true hope, Jesus. See, Jesus is looking for a personal relationship with each one of you just like he had with this young boy. Mark 16, 7 says this, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So there's something interesting here that they bring out the name of Peter. If you remember or, or know anything, Peter denies Jesus three times, and we see it in Mark's account in Mark chapter 14. After Jesus' death, Peter's probably feeling distraught, lost. He's probably angry at himself, probably feeling a little guilty. So many different emotions. But God knows this, and God comforts him. He doesn't leave him where he's at. He tells them, go tell Peter. And we even see here in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he, he shows himself first to Cephas, to Peter, before he say, uh, sees the disciples. And he goes to him and he cares for him. He does that for each of you. You don't have to wait to bring Jesus into your life. He will meet you wherever you are at, no matter how hopeless, no matter how guilty, no matter how weighed down you feel, no matter where you are in life, he will bring you into, bring you into him at all moments. He will give you a true peace. After these women were told all these things, they were left with the news of, okay, what do I do? Mark 16, 8, we see, and they went, up and, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. See, the book of Mark is like an action movie. Something we've been kind of going over. It's so quick. It's choppy. It's quick. It's, um, it's amazing. It's outstanding. It's an incredible book. Now, what we see from Mark is he makes this claim in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the Son of God. And he spends the whole book explaining why. He's just like a great lawyer. He makes his statement, and then he backs up the argument with arguments the whole way through. We see it through his miracles. We see it through his interactions with everyone. We see it the whole way. And then he comes, and just like every good action movie, just like every good lawyer, the final scene, we get the best part. The thing we expect the Son of God to do. He rises from the grave. He doesn't stay there. And it leaves us thinking, what just happened and what happens next? See, we should be left with that thought. What happens next? Unbelievers, people here who don't believe Jesus is their true hope today, the answer to the question, what happens next for you, is to bring Jesus into your life. I think we all can agree on the fact that we mess up. We do this thing called sin. See, sin is anything that breaks God's law. Uh, the law is being summed up in two, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. We, we all break these things. 
The Bible confirms that with Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because of the sin, we deserve an eternal death. Romans 6.23 states that. For the wages of sin is death. I've been, I've worked a lot with kids in my life, uh, especially the last few years. I spent a lot of time out on the playground. And, and you see something that just we do as well. But So kids will be playing a game, and there's two of them playing. And when one of them does something wrong and gets out, the person who got him out wants him out. He wants justice there. But the moment he gets out, he's going to try to talk his way out of it. I'm not out. I did this, this, and this. We do the same thing. Ever been cut off by somebody on the road? We want justice, right? We want them punished to the fullest extent of the law, along with all their money, their house, and everything else, (laughs) except for their problems. See, we do stuff wrong, too. We want others to be punished, but we don't realize that we also deserve punishment. See, we're hanging off here on a cliff. We're being pushed off by our sins, our weights, our troubles, and everything. We're in desolation. But God gives us the true hope of Jesus who pulls us back and brings us to him and gives us that feeling of peace and knowing we are in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 tells us exactly this. This is Paul talking. For I delivered you as of first importance when I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, Jesus did not die to save himself. He died for each of you. That you may know and find true hope in him. If you do not find hope in Jesus, what is your hope in? It could be in anything. Just to list a few, it can be in the government. It can be in your political party. It can be in your identity, your sexuality, your money. Whatever you can think of, where is your hope? Whatever it may be, we know that thing's going to probably let you down because people mess up. See, God doesn't care about the things of the world. He's actually here to save us from the world. He wants you to be part of his family. And John 3.17 says it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn us, to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through him. So at this point, I need audience participation. This is the youth pastor in me. All you have to do is raise your hand. Don't worry. How many of you have ever been let down before by another person? Okay, we're good, right? Okay. (laughs) Same here. Uh, So I remember one time at a young age, my parents told me I can go to Disneyland. It is the happiest place on earth until you get home and realize you're out of money. (laughs) The last second they said we couldn't go. And I was so distraught. Because the promise had been broken. I felt let down. Maybe you've been, you felt that before. Maybe somebody's stealing from you at work. Maybe it was someone you love said something that just completely blew your mind. It was so mean. Maybe a spouse let you down. Maybe a parent or a child let you down. 
sure we've all been there before. Actually, I know we've all been there before. You all raised your hands. But that's not God. He will never let you down. See, in John 10, he tells us that we cannot be plucked from his hands. We cannot be taken away. When you are in him, you are in him. Nothing can take you out of that. If you're still unsure of what to put your hope in, I strongly urge you not to put your hope in yourself, your gender, your sexuality, your money, your property, your family, anything but God. See, those things are of the world, and they may make you happy for just a little bit. Just a bit. Give you that brief feeling. But it will fade away. That joy is short-lived. If you feel that tired, that unrest, the burdens you experience, pray to God. Let him know, I mess up. Believe Jesus is your true son. He died, he rose again. Bring me into a perfect relationship with you and change my heart so I seek you first. Now, believers, the question for you, what happens next is I think said best here in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, brothers and sisters, this world cannot do anything to you anymore. You're like that shiny new toy on Christmas in the box that can't be messed with. See, things can come and try to hit you, but God's always there. They can't pull you away. And I got to ask you the question, where does your hope truly lie at? See, it, it, where your hope lies at is probably where most of your time lies at. See, if your hope is placed in Jesus, then it will show. But if your hope is placed in money, school, self, the government, your political party, anything like that, it will show. You can try to hide it for a little bit, but it will eventually show. As Christians, we're called to put to death the things of this world. Romans 6, 11, see, also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. The sin in your life no longer holds you down. You're alive in God. But what does that mean? Well, I'm going to break it down into three things. It can be broken down into so many more. I have to take like two years worth of classes on how many more things it'd be broken down into. But we're going to focus on three things. First thing is sanctified. 1 Corinthians 1-2 says, To the church of God, that is Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ. So first it says we're sanctified in Jesus. I mean, we've been set aside from, from sin. We are not part of this world. We're to do the will of God. But that doesn't mean we're done. It means we're to grow in God through spiritual formation. See, spiritual formation, it's a real wordy definition, but basically it's as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is doing it through the grace of God and his love. And we're doing that, we're growing closer towards Jesus. And 2 Peter 3 says it, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. See, we're given grace by God that allows us to grow into him. We're not working for our salvation. We know we can't work for our salvation. 
we, didn't, if we could work our way to salvation, what's the purpose of Jesus? But we can't work our way to salvation. That's why there's a purpose of Jesus coming in and solving the issue for us. We as believers, how we get to do it is we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our light and we get the chance to read. We get the chance to uh, read our Bible. We get the chance to pray. We get the chance to worship. We get the chance to fellowship together and just sit in silence with the creator of this universe. And we do this also. He's changing our life and it's led by the Holy Spirit in love. That way we can go out and bring others into his family. I'm in seminary. Made a couple mentions to that. So I'm in seminary program, and right now I'm reading all of the Old Testament in about three months. And I thought the last thing I'd want to do is go home and read my Bible constantly. What I found is the more I go through seminary, the more I read the Bible, the more I realize how much I sin and how much that hurts my relationship with God. It's so bad, I sin so much. In reading the Bible, it's a therapy. It's a way to kind of learn, okay, he's forgiving. He loves me. He cares for me. It allowed me to grow closer in my relationship with Jesus the more I read. So we continue in our spiritual formation. One thing that's going to show bright is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, Paul tells us that without love, you're nothing. See, Christians, you have to have love in your life. That should be showing bright and clear. It shouldn't be hidden. It should be out in the open. What does love look like? Well, we go on along in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Paul makes it clear. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. True love is selfless. It's giving of yourself to somebody else and making them more important than you. It's being nice to them. It's being kind to them. It's being graceful with them when they do wrong. But you also know when it's time to speak truth as well. It also means caring for them when those boulders in life are stuck there right in front. See, sometimes when boulders come, we like to try to fix it. It's not going to help much. Be there with the person. Mourn with the person. Pray with the person. Just listen to them. I, I struggle with this concept of, of love in and of itself. Through my life, it's been really good, and I've gotten good at detaching myself from emotions, especially love which makes it easy for me to do, uh, form opinions. But it makes it truly hard to rely and reach out to other people. God has been teaching me how to receive and give love. Thankfully, I have all of you guys out here to help me through that. See, if you have love in your life, you'll be showing it, and it's going to grow in unity with other people and presenting the true hope in your life out. So we have sanctified love, and now we have unity. I don't know how many of you watch sports, but what plays a big role in sports, the championship team is not always the most athletic team. No, what tends to happen is the team that wins it all, they have this point 
in the season where they come together, they overcome an obstacle, and they show out, and they all put themselves aside, all their pride, their stats, and everything else, and they move towards one. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. We're supposed to put our egos and our pride aside and move together as one. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4 addresses it with a little bit more. It says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you you with milk, not solid food. For you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, sorry, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? So first Paul is talking about spiritual growth, right? We start off as infants and we grow older. So this church is having an issue. They're still in their flesh. They're in an infancy stage. They're relying on their sin and their flesh and their pride to push them through stuff. They're immature as a church at this point as they're growing. They're having issues with their faith. They're overwhelmed. And they start to fraction off, create issues, go with one teacher over another, and they're not doing it correctly. See, as a church, you come together and worship God as one. You lay apart, lay aside that pride. You may be asking, what does a church that's divided look like today? Well, there are some people, what they may think, some issues we core tend to get overwhelmed by. It used to be, uh, I heard something many years before I was born, that people would leave churches over the color of the carpet. Now it's different things. Now it's, what do we do with uh, such big political gaps? What do we do about this thing called COVID? What do we do about the music? It's too loud. It's too soft. I don't know what to do with it. Maybe I don't like the color of the room. Maybe you're a pre-trip person, this other person's some like mid-trip, but they're the end of the mid-trip, so it's about like three and a half years way through, but plus another month. It's not the point. We're missing the mark. We're supposed to be moving together in unity through love. Have grace for each other. See, in a church, we're gonna create friction. It's gonna happen. It's understanding that we all mess up and that we can have grace. How can you say you're a believer in the true hope of Jesus if you're not moving in unity? The losing team for a championship, or even the playoffs for that matter, you see it early on in their season. You see them, the camera will show their team and they're arguing like crazy over absolutely nothing. And eventually they come to a point where through their arguments, they'll probably stop talking. A player will request a trade. Or a player will just leave. So we as a church are called in 1 Corinthians 12 to come together as a body. And out of our many different talents, we need all of our members who fit their little niches with different gifts given to us by God and the Holy Spirit. See, I saw this was very prevalent. Uh, as in youth, we get to go check up on summer camps and winter retreats, and they give us like a private tour of the campus, and they talk to us about the spiritual formation they're working through, their games, activities, all of that stuff. And thankfully, Helena was able to come up with me a few weeks ago 
And it was so great to have her with me because she checked out something I never thought of checking out. That was the bathrooms. <laughs> See, girls at camp truly care about what does the bathroom look like. As a guy, I don't know that. As a guy who spends a week with junior high and high school boys, I go into that bathroom as quick as possible and get out before I pass out. <laughs> and I was so thankful that she was able to ask that question among many others because she filled a niche I couldn't fill. Just like our worship team fills a niche and our tech team. You know, Adam did an amazing job back there. Just give him a round of applause later. Or now, go ahead. <laughs> Along with all of our tech crew and our worship team. See, you don't want me singing, it's not gonna work out well. See, as a church, we're to come together in unity and show up. We're gonna do some things in that. We're to take communion. Take communion in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. See, he died and then he later rose again so we can come into true hope. But also we're called to do something fun that we get to do today, which is baptism. See, baptism is important. It doesn't save you, but it's an outward expression of your inward identity in Christ. It's letting everybody know and affirming to the rest of the congregation that you are a part of the body of Christ. And that you are here with fellow believers. You're going to lay your pride down and you're going to go and serve God and serve other believers. To conclude today, we see that Jesus conquered death. Because we're taken from this point of desperation to true hope. There's a call to be part of this hope. And that he's this only hope we have. Once you have this hope, as believers. It's going to show in who you are as you're forming in him and he's growing with you. He's helping you through those boulders. You're going to get this chance to read, to pray, to learn, to worship, to fellowship with other believers. But also you're going to get a chance to show love and to create unity. It's a great thing when you're pushing towards unity. And you get to have communion and baptize other people. So I'm going to ask you the same question Mark does after everything we've laid out. What happens next in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this gospel. It's so great that you conquered death. You didn't leave us. You, you came and helped us. You're so amazing. You're so outstanding, so wonderful. It's just great. I'm so thankful for what you've done. I'm so happy we have some people who are getting baptized today and they're telling us that they want to be part of the family with you. I thank you for everything we've done today. I thank you for all that you do, how you bless us, how you walk with us. I thank you for letting me to get to just, you can use me to speak and do all this stuff I'm so happy it's you doing it. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you conquered death and took my sins away. In Jesus' name, amen.